Right on, we're just going to be in the Word this morning with our last message in this series, Heaven is in the House. And uh, uh, it was a series intended to be talking about the culture of heaven and how that can be our uh, encounter right here on earth, that we can encounter the culture of heaven. In fact, that was Jesus, part of Jesus' plan for his church and his kingdom, that it would have a culture of heaven. And so uh, I want to just uh, finish up the series today. We're talking about participating with heaven. I loved Pastor Kimmy's message last week on the invitation of heaven. So we've been invited, and uh, now we're uh, going to be talking about participating, okay? We've got the invitation, so what do we do? What do we do with the invitation? And so I want to just talk to you a little bit about that today. Have you ever... uh, uh, heard the song in the old days. There was a, a band called Lover Boy, I think it was called, and they had a song. Everybody's working for the. Yeah, you guys heard that song. Everybody's hoping for a new romance. Yeah, so you, someone said chance, but maybe that is in the song too. Chance, romance, working for the weekend. And, uh, you know, I think as people, we can live for many things. Some, some of us live for food. Uh, I heard it said the other day, some of us uh, eat to live, and some of us live to Yeah, <laughs> you heard that too. <laughs> that was not in the Loverboy song, just in case you're wondering. Uh, I don't think so anyway. Um, <laughs> that was before Loverboy. <laughs> uh, some of us uh, live to work. You know, we love to work. We love to, to accomplish things. Some of you are li- thinking, live to work? Who's a crazy nut that wants to work? Well, some people love to accomplish things and be productive and, and all that. Uh, some of us love to, uh, some of us just love to live. You know, our focus is, j- I just want to live. I'll do anything to live, and it's just about staying alive and not dying. I want to just live another day. Oh, I just want to stay, stay alive. Uh, live for pleasure. Uh, people that live for pleasure often will use people or consume as much as they can. Those are some of the indicators, you know. But we were created by God to live for purpose, right? So when we're talking about participating in heaven, we're talking about knowing what it is we're here to live for. If we're, if we're uh, working for the weekend, uh, maybe it's not really what God's intention for your life was. He had a greater, he had a greater idea when he created you. And, uh, and I want to just help bring some understanding today to you what we were created for. And, uh, you know, one of the things that happens when we don't have purpose is we start to look for purpose, right? We want our lives to count, and we start to search and seek, and we'll try to find it in all kinds of things. So it's not wrong to be looking. It's not long to be lo- wrong to be longing for purpose, but we can get into that, that thing. And so let's not just be scrambling around looking for this and that and every other thing. Let's be uh, directed by God, find out what his purpose is. You know, uh, Paul said this to the Colossians. He said, set your mind on things above. God has a purpose for you. It's not just something you have to scramble around for. It's something that he has that you can grab a hold of and that you can live for. 
And I'd love it if you would just allow yourself for a few minutes as we're in the word today to allow yourself to think like a child of God, right? If I was God's son or God's daughter, what would he have for me, right? Let's not get, you know, down here and, and uh, thinking, oh, it's just, you know, if I could just, you know, be happy for one more day, if I could just live for one more day, if I could just, you know, make it to the weekend, you know, then I'll be happy. Well, God has something more for you. Um, if, you're, if you're in that empty spot, this is going to be a good day for you. Maybe you just need a, a refresher. What is it again? I do want to live for God's purpose. I'm just losing my way a little bit. I think this is going to help clarify some things for you today. Uh, recalibrate, maybe is a good word. Recalibrating, just making those little adjustments that are going to help us on our faith walk. Let's look at the, at the word. Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 18. I think they're going to be, those, the scriptures are going to be on the screens, but if you have your Bible, I encourage you to follow along. So this is what Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So Paul was encouraging the uh, Galatians to live their lives for God. Not just what they feel like, right? Don't be just led to live for the weekend. Don't be just led to just try to stay alive for one more day or to eat or whatever it is. Don't let your flesh decide, but be led by the Holy Spirit. There's a battle, Paul was saying, for your life. There's a battle for what we're going to live for. So if you feel the tension in your life, if you feel, oh, man, I've been off track. I, I, when you said that recalibrate, Pastor Greg, that's what I need to do. That should not surprise us because there's a battle for our attention. Are we going to live by our flesh? Are we going to live by our feelings, our emotions? Are we going to live by our desires? Are we going to live by the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit leads us and wants to, uh, us to live our lives for purpose? Will we live for God's purpose, or are we going to waste it on our flesh, our desires? Uh, he says this word, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, or live by the Spirit, some translations say. Uh, what does that mean? What does that mean to, to walk by the Spirit, or live uh, by the Spirit? Well, you can imagine with me, uh, when I was uh, younger which wasn't that long ago, we, uh, our kids were little. We had these harnesses for, I believe it was for Jonathan. Had, we had a harness for him, didn't we? Yeah, we had a harness. So when we'd go to the mall, we would put him in a harness. And then there was this kind of cord that looked like a telephone cable, like, you know, like the, the curled up. <laughs> you guys are looking at me like, you evil pastor. We bought it. We bought it from the store. They sold it to us. Someone told us this would be a good idea. So that one end was hooked to us, and one end was hooked to John, and he could kind of, 
you know, run around, but he could not get away, right? And so sometimes I think we think we're, we're tethered to the Spirit, you know? You know, where the Spirit goes, he'll, he'll kind of like, you know, we'll, if we get too far off, the cord will and then he'll boing, you know, back like the coyote and the, and the roadrunner. And, and, and he'll come back to us. And that can be, you know, a reasonable explanation about being led by the Spirit or walking by the Spirit or life in the Spirit. But it's actually a deeper meaning than that. It would be more like putting the child in the stroller and doing up the belt and then being at rest in the stroller and the Holy Spirit pushing on the... You can kind of imagine with me. The Holy Spirit is leading us to where we're to live, where we're to go. And not only is he leading us, not only just pointing us where we're to go, he's empowering us to get there. Huh? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's not just saying, that's where you should go. He's saying, no, get into the stroller and rest. Jesus said, you're seated in heavenly places with him, right? That's what that idea. And here in there, and the Holy Spirit is empowering you on your way. He's helping you on your way. He's giving you everything you need to live the life that he has called you to live. When we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we move from feeling helpless or confused, boing, you know, <laughs> doing our own thing, to being purpose-filled and empowered, right? That's the difference. You know, Carl and I, we've lived now in Prince George for almost 30 years Funny thing, as we're getting older, she tried to explain to me that we were married for 40 years the other day, but it's actually not that long, which was kind of fun to think uh, we even love each other, that we wished it was longer. <laughs> but we've been here almost 30 years, and before we moved to Prince George, we grew up on the prairies. And in fact, we lived most of our lives in the prairies, and then we moved to Lloydminster and then Calgary which is still on the edge of the prairies, and then we moved to, to Prince George. In Saskatchewan, the, I think there's a picture of the... There, oh, yeah, there's a picture of Saskatchewan. There is a, uh, a slogan on the license plate, and it says, the land of living skies. And one of the things about the prairies that you notice is what? The sky. The sky is enormous. The sky is huge. In fact, the sky is what you see. You see the weather coming from miles away. You can look outside. You don't have to turn on the weather. You just look outside. You say, oh, it's going to rain. I can see it coming. It's like 4,500 miles away, and it's coming this way. <laughs> Should be here by tonight. <laughs> Whatever. You see sunset, sun rises. Uh, you see the uh, night sky, the stars, the, the moon moving through the sky. You see the northern lights. I was on a plane uh, a couple of years ago and uh, with a, a sitting beside a guy from, from California, and I, we got chatting, and he was on his way to the north. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going on a holiday. I'm a photographer, and I've always wanted to go 
and see the northern lights. And I said, ah, they're beautiful, aren't they? And he said, I've never seen them before. I said, really? He said, no, I've never seen the northern lights. I'm taking a trip to go and see the northern lights. Well, I saw the northern lights whenever I wanted to when I lived in Saskatchewan. Just what we see is the sky. And we've lived now in Prince George for many years, and we've lived in the bowl for so long. For so long. We've lived in the bowl of Prince George and the trees and the mountains. We've enjoyed the scenery that we've almost forgotten about the sky. It's amazing. It's amazing how you can live your life and know it's there, but you can get so accustomed to other things and almost forget what it's like that we just begin to live a different way. And in our walk with the Lord, sometimes we lose sight of the purpose that we have, that he's called us to, living to please God by the power of his spirit. We have so many distractions in our lives, so many obstacles that we face that we can oftentimes forget the goal, the purpose. And I assure you that even if you can't see it, if you don't know what his purpose is, it's still there. Huh? Just because there's obstacles and challenges, it does not mean it's not there. It's there. I'm here to tell you. There is some great news for us that God has purpose. God has plans. Jesus has purpose. Jesus has plans. Not just in general, but he has plans for you. He has plans for the church. He's got big dreams. You know, a clear vision for our lives is like a compass. And I know we don't oftentimes use compasses anymore. We use Google Maps. But it's oftentimes like that. When you have it in your phone, you have it on your nav system, the map, it becomes very clear of where you're to go. And this is what happens when we know God's purpose. Jesus' vision uh, is not supposed to be a mystery. What is Jesus' vision? For you and I and for Gateway. Well, it's the same vision that he has for his church. His big church. And we find it in the book of Revelation. Chapter 7 and verse 9. Here it is. This is what Jesus showed John. His vision. He said, after this I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Can you picture it? Jesus is showing this to John. He's saying, John, psst, I want to show you my vision. I want to show you what I'm imagining. A sea of people that no one could count. And from, they were from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing the white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. That's Jesus' vision for the church. A sea of people that's so vast you can't see the end of it. A multitude of people. An ocean of people. Like If you've been in big crowds, it's like waves going through the crowd. You hear the sounds of the voices. He says there's every language, every, every color of people is there. Every culture 
imagine people wearing different clothes and, and uh, people different, you know, like some people are very exuberant. Uh, Elizabeth was kind of teasing me that I danced like a white guy. Before, before church, but I said, Elizabeth, at least I'm moving, you know, I'm trying, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm doing my best, <laughs> and we'll see it in that sea of people, all kinds of cultures and, and ways, and we'll see, we'll see uh, uh, them standing before the Lamb of God, before the throne of God, giving up their worship of God. It's going to be so incredible. And this is what Jesus was showing. This is going to be an incredible time. And he's saying all these people are going to be wearing their white robes, which means they were transformed by encounters with the presence of Jesus. They had been in places in meetings like we were in this morning, and the presence of God comes, and, and we were singing, God, you're good. And it's just like, oh, this wave of worship starts to rise up and this transformation power of the Holy Spirit starts to engage with us. And we're like, oh, we want more of you, God. We want you in our lives. We begin to invite him and we begin to bow down our will and our ways and our hardness becomes, to, hard hearts become broken and soft and, and our hurts Lord, and our regrets we start to let go of them and say, Lord, we want healing. We want we, we are stored. We don't want to hold on to bitterness and strife and anger and all those things. We want to let them go. We want to let them go for you, Jesus. We want to be changed by you, Jesus. We want to be empowered by you, Jesus. We want to live for you. We want to stand before your throne in our white robes, oh God, in the clothes that you'll give us, in the transformation power. Man, tell me. Tell me we need another rule. We don't need rules. We need encounters with our great God. Holding palm branches. Those palm branches are signs of, of those encounters. We're saying, you remember Jesus. You delivered me from this thing. You healed me from this thing. You provided me from this thing. And I'm waving those things, oh God, to you and saying, you're a great God. You're our great king. We're going to follow you at all cost. Ha <laughs> ha. That's Jesus' vision for his church. That's Jesus' vision for Gateway. That's Jesus' vision for you. That you will be standing in that sea of people. Oh, that is an awesome vision. In fact, Jesus' vision is large. It's impossible. If you think about it, you could imagine, you could say, oh, that's an impossible vision, Jesus. There's too much opposition. There's too many forces fighting against your vision, Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm willing to do anything for this vision. I will lay everything down for this vision. Huh? He went to the cross. He laid it down. Man, if we could just get a little understanding. Pastor Andy sent me a message this morning of Thanksgiving. He just said, thanks, Greg, for being a great friend. And I sent him back. I said, if you could only know 
how much I love you. And he sat back, oh, I know. <laughs> Which I was glad. He had an understanding of how much I appreciate him. When we understand and know that vision, I know what it will do. It will cause us to be willing to lay it down, just like he did. See, we can see it as a future vision, this vision of heaven, but we can also see it as a present reality. So Jesus' vision of heaven in the future is also his vision of his presence right now. He wants you to be wearing white robes. He wants you to be waving palm branches. He wants you to have encounters. He wants you to have victories you're going to worship him with. He wants you to lift up your voice. He wants every culture, every tribe, every people, every person to be lifting up his name. He wants people to be pursuing him. He wants people to be encountering the redeeming power of the gospel and worshiping God. So how do we accomplish his vision? Well, Jesus explains this in his last words in the New Testament. These are familiar words to us that we've talked about many times in Matthew 28. And he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's amazing, eh? And he promised to be with us and empower us. This is Jesus' plan strategy for having his vision become reality. And we're part of that vision. We're part of that strategy. We're part of his mission. Redeemed lives. Transformation in the presence of God. You know, Brad was uh, last night here leading worship, and he worked all night a 12-hour shift. And uh, here he is. It's not for the money. He's a volunteer. (laughs) It's for the desire to be part of the mission of seeing this vision become reality and seeing you encountering the presence of Jesus. I want to talk to you today two ways in the last 10 minutes here. Two ways we can actively participate with Jesus to make his vision a reality. And I don't, I don't want this to become a list. This is a discipleship strategy, right? These things come as the Holy Spirit reveals them to us and empowers us to do them. So don't think of it as yourself on a harness with the telephone cable thing, the spring thing, and boing, boing, boing. No, think of it getting in the stroller and the Holy Spirit helping you, right? Empowering you, getting you to the goal. So this is just two things of many things the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me of, uh, about, and maybe he would speak to you about them. First one, uh, a way we can actively participate with Jesus to make his vision a reality. Holy Spirit, speak to us and empower us. 
as we want to live lives led by the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit. Number one, we fund the mission of heaven. We fund the mission of heaven. We fund the mission of heaven. You want to say that? We fund the mission of heaven. So if I was to ask you, who funds the mission of heaven, who would it be? We do. Right. We fund the mission of heaven. The mission of heaven is Jesus' mission, right? We just talked about it. It's his mission. It's his vision. Who funds it? We do. (laughs) That's a good deal for him. (laughs) Of course, God is our provider, and we always look to him for provision. So I'm just being a little bit silly. But Jesus' mission is not a safe one. Right? It's not a comfort vision. We're not going to get to where he wants to go by sitting on our couch with our feet on the ottoman with a remote. Huh? We're not going to get to it by just saying, oh, I'm going to listen to that podcast and I'm going to do that thing and then I'm going to go over there and do that. I just want, I just want. I just want to consume. I just want, 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 want. We're not going to accomplish the vision that way. It's not for the faint of heart. It's going to take everything that we have and more. Everything he has, right? Us participating with the vision, his vision. Jesus said these words in Matthew 9, 38. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Which is a very familiar scripture. But I was thinking about this word this week. Earnestly. We actually have a guy in our church named Ernest. Which is a great name. To earnestly pray. What does it mean to earnest, be earnest? What does it mean to earnestly pray? It means to forcefully lay hold of it. (laughs) To pray with pleading. Huh? It's saying, you know what? I am going to fight for this. That's what he's saying. Fight for this thing in prayer. This is a kind of prayer that's offered when we're at the end of our own strength, at the end of our own good ideas, when we're at the end of our experience. Oh, we should try this. We should try that. We should do this. We should do that. No, this is a, oh, God, help us. Lord, we need you to move. We need you to send laborers, God. We need the gospel to be heard, Lord. We're not going to give up on this, Lord. We're going to keep on our knees until we start to see a shift and a move. And we start to pray and we start to be earnest and we start to lay hold of God's will in our prayers. (laughs) God answers this kind of prayer. That's why Jesus said it. This isn't a begging prayer because that would imply that we are self-centered or 
We had a self-centered motivation. This is a prayer that's offered in humility. It recognizes our weaknesses and his strength. It's a prayer that's offered in repentance, acknowledging we have not always pursued God as we should, and we're saying, God, we need our hearts to change. This is a prayer that's offered in longing to see the supernatural power of God unleashed. Huh? That's what this is about. We don't want to just know about a story of how God moved. We want to encounter and see God move, don't we? Don't we? Do we? I do. And this should, in fact, influence our prayer and how we will live our lives. I know you guys are being a little bit tentative because you heard me talk about funding before. So you don't want to be too exuberant about, yeah, Pastor Gray, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I I think you're going to try to catch me or something and loophole me. Jesus asked us to pray this way. Now, if you're loud in prayer, if your heart gets desperate in prayer, if you find you're disturbing your neighbors in prayer, it may be that you're just following the Jesus model of prayer. Huh? Huh? If people are hearing that you're desperate for God to do something, that you're earnest about him activating his Holy Ghost in your life and in the people around you, if you're just saying, God, you know what, I need you, I need you, I need you, and your prayers aren't all that flowery, But there's a desperation there, a dependence upon God. (laughs) You know what what pastors brag about when they're together? How their people pray. And I tell you, I'm bragging about you guys. I am bragging about you. Because I hear it rising in our church. But let's not stop. Let's, the goal is not to be loud. The goal is not to be desperate. The goal is not even to be humble or repentant, which are all good goals and all a part of that process. But the goal is to see Jesus begin to move. Isn't it? Oh, we need you, God. We need you, Lord, to do what only you can do. And we want to partner with you. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit. Jump in the stroller and hold on, because he's taking us somewhere. And we're active in participating. We want to see many people one to Jesus. Many people transformed by the power of Jesus. People set free from a life void of purpose. How do we bring this vision about? Well, this is what Malachi said. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Saying, bring 10% of your income into the storehouse that there may be what in my house? Food in my house. (laughs) Food is... The presence of God, the word of God, him speaking to us, us encountering him, us empowered by him. It's living by 
the Spirit. Right? One of the things we can do as the Holy Spirit enables us is we can bring the tithe into the house of God. Then it says, test me in this, which is really cool that God would say that. He, he usually gives us a test. But he says, you can give me a test. See if I will not throw open the floodgate of heaven. <laughs> I want the heaven's floodgate open. Oh, I do. And I'll be so bold to say one of the ways it happens as we bring in the tithe into the storehouse. And these are powerful words that the devil does not want us to hear. That God's house is to be filled with the bread of heaven, the word of life, and every resource that's needed to fund the mission of Jesus, the vision that Jesus had. And this is why it's important for us to tithe. Not because it's a rule. Not because it's a law or anything like that. It's because it's Jesus' plan to accomplish his vision. And if you could get that in your heart, it's the Holy Spirit walking with you, leading you in this. Is he empowering you in this? Your tithe funds the mission of heaven and it opens the floodgates of heaven according to the word of God. Number two, second way we can participate with Jesus. We risk everything for love. We risk everything for love. Let's, let's be people that are risking. Let's stop playing it safe. Our mission is not pleasure. It's not comfort. It's not convenience. It's not even stuff that we all will like all the time. <laughs> our mission is to risk everything for love. Jesus Mission is one of eternity. When Jesus moved, uh, removed eternal risk, he invited us to live a life of daily risk. Huh? He removed eternal risk so that we could live daily risk. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present or the future nor any powers... How many powers? None of them. Neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are eternally secure. You are in God's hand. Nothing can dislodge you from that. You have room, therefore, to live a life of risk. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, Pastor Greg, you're talking about eternal security. Do we believe in that here? <laughs> what I'm talking about is that you have room to risk. Right? There's room for you. You're eternally in God's hand, according to the scripture, and there's room for you to live a little bit beyond the borders of comfort. In our generation, we've been distracted by notions of safety, security, aversion to risk-taking, pleasure, 
all kinds of that. But Jesus calls his people to live and die for others. In Luke 6, verse 27 and 28, these are his words. Love, who? Don't, don't move past that. Don't move past it. He's asked you to live a life of love for that's what he asks us to do. Do good to those who. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus has asked us to risk for love. To pray or bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. And I'm not minimizing any of those things because all those things can be very painful. But Jesus asked us to live a life of risk. You know, to many people in the world, a step of faith to put their hope in Jesus is one of ridicule, it's one of persecution, and it's one of death. This year, the World Watch list produced by Open Doors uh, who follow these statistics said these things. Every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. 13 people will die because they believe in Jesus today. 12 churches will be attacked. 12 Christians will be unjustly arrested and imprisoned. And five will be abducted because of their faith. Matthew 16, 25 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Christians live to risk everything. Why? For love. To love. That's our mission given by Jesus to love. Even in the face of all of those difficult persecutions and hardships, we are called not to fight, not to be right, not to protest and all that kind of stuff, but to love. Jesus didn't invite us into a life of safety, but love at all costs. I'm going to end this message today with a story. Lilia, who's a missionary from our church, there she is. We prayed for her that day at the end of June. She was going to university, UNBC, to become a doctor. And the Holy Spirit was stirring in her heart. She did not know what was happening, but she started to come to Gateway because she heard something was happening at Gateway. So she came here, and there was somebody who I do not know who you are, saw her, and started to love her. At that point, she was not a believer in Jesus. She was just coming out of curiosity. She was being drawn, and someone kept inviting her and seeing her when she came in and noticing her and kind of like, mm. and it wasn't a guy, just in case you're wondering. All the guys are like, oh, she's beautiful. Who wouldn't want to go? But no, it was actually a lady. I know she told me it was a lady. She did not know who it was. And she said, every time I came in, they saw me, they came. And she said, I went on a YWAM. I went on a YWAM to, I can't remember if she told me it was France or Italy. It was one of those. She went for an adventure. She was going to go on an adventure. 
She went to YWAM. She ended up giving her life to Jesus and being filled with the Holy Ghost. And she started working in Greece. And at that time, the Holy Spirit was working on me about the refugees in Greece and saying, there is a place for the church amongst those people that are oppressed. And I started praying, God, we need to plant a church amongst these people. They need to encounter you. They need to encounter hope. Well, all in all, Lily came back this year and she said, Pastor Greg, I've been in Greece serving Jesus. And he's been meeting my needs and leading me. But I'm tired of just being there. I want to be sent. And we're in my office. And the Holy Spirit started saying, dude, you know that person you were praying that you would send over there? That's her. I'm like, oh, Oh, so we prayed for her that Sunday out in the parking lot, church in the parking lot. Tell me, is God doing something during COVID? Huh? So she goes on her way back to Greece, but she stops in another country that we can't tell you what it is because she could be in big trouble there if they found her. She gets COVID on the way. And so she gets forced to isolate there. She leads someone in the building that she's isolated in to Jesus. And that person, she left behind after she discipled them for a few days, and they're planting a church. Huh? That's what happens when you risk for Risk it all for love. That's a story of what God can do. We're going to invite the worship team to come. We're going to invite you to stand. Lord, we want to be led by you. We want to participate in heaven. We want to live lives that count. <laughs> Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for opening our eyes. Man, if you're here today and you just want to participate with Jesus, maybe it's these two things that I said. Maybe the Holy Spirit's showing you something else. I just want you to just say yes to the Holy Spirit, how he's leading you. The first thing that you do when the Holy Spirit speaks is you obey, right? <laughs> you, you say, oh, man, that's so cool that you spoke to me. No, I want to obey. I want to follow you. So just make the commitment to take those steps. And Lord, we just thank you that you're speaking to us. And maybe you're here today and you've never opened your heart to Jesus, but you've encountered his presence this morning and he's drawing you. You don't even understand what's going on, but you just feel like it's like a magnet pulling you. That's the Holy Spirit. And he's drawing you to himself. And the way you start that relationship with Jesus is you just open up your mouth and you say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to come into my heart and begin to lead me. And Lord, I want to just say, I am sorry for anything I've done in my life. But from this day forward, I want to follow you and be led by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.